0: So a few years ago i uh, I took some middle school students on a retreat and it was a it was kind of a cool retreat it was a local retreat and all of the pastors from the different churches that were involved had to have a part in planning and organizing the retreat now with 300 middle school students there that's as many as attended you have to have a lot of things going on to keep them occupied otherwise they'll get restless and it would be utter chaos. So we had all kinds of stuff set up for them to do. We had uh, laser tag, we had inflatables, we had dodgeball tournaments, We—I mean, anything you can think of we had it going on at this retreat. We also had set up a a large uh, video game room. Now I like video games so I I wanted to go in and check out the video game room and and a couple of my students were playing and they were mingling with some other students that they had met and, and they were all playing together and so I walked in very confidently and I asked all of the students who's ready to lose and I wasn't joking either I really thought that I was going to win they were playing a game that I had been playing longer than they had even been born so I thought it would be a piece of cake so I jumped in to play and I got absolutely embarrassed by these kids they destroyed me and it wasn't even close so I did what any respectable youth pastor would do I humbly accepted defeat, I shook their hands and said, good game. No, that is what I should have done. Uh, I said they were lucky. I said that I just needed a a warm-up game, that I'll I'll be ready to go in the next one. So I, I ran it back. I played a second round with them, and then I got beat even worse the second time. And at that point, I did have to shamefully leave the game room. Now, what bothered me in that moment was not that I Lost. I'm a very competitive person, but I can handle losing from time to time. What bothered me was how I was humbled by these middle school students. I thought for sure I was going to wipe the floor with them, and they embarrassed me. I greatly overestimated my ability to beat them in this game. And when I didn't win, they all used my words against me, they all made fun of me, uh, and it was all right. It wasn't that big of a deal. It's just video games. But I think that sometimes as Christians, we tend to overestimate our ability, just like I did in that moment. And so from time to time, we need to be reminded uh, that we aren't as, as great as we think we are. And that's why John 15 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, verses one through 16 and it reminds us of how small our ability actually is when it comes to pleasing the Lord. But this reminder that we find here it's not one that is demeaning or condescending. This reminder is a good thing. It's it's a helpful thing because while we are reminded that we cannot please God of our own ability, all that we need to please God has been provided to us in Jesus. Everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to God has been given to us in Christ. Let's open in prayer and then we will dive into our text this morning. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that uh, despite not having a building to meet in today, that we can still gather together using technology. We we know that it is not the same as our in-person worship service, but it is still a blessing that we're able to do this when the circumstances require it. I ask that you would be with me as, as I preach I pray that this message would be uh, not my message but but your message I pray that your people would be challenged and, and transformed as they hear and respond to your word in Jesus name I pray amen so go ahead and you can open your Bibles to John chapter 15 and we will read verses 1 through 7 I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So this this chapter, what Jesus is saying here, it's in the context of of Jesus' final discourse before his crucifixion. These are some of his final words to his disciples. Now, the purpose of this discourse was to encourage his disciples because this, when he's speaking, is the night that he's going to be arrested. He would soon leave them. He'd be crucified. And then after he rose again, he would ascend to be with the Father. But he wanted his disciples to know that even after he goes, they can still abide in him. They can still find everything they need to live a spiritually fruitful life in Jesus so here in John 15 halfway through this final discourse he calls himself the true vine and the father is called the vine dresser now notice though that the that Jesus does not call himself the vine he calls himself the true vine and this may seem like a, a subtle distinction but but I think it's important because this designation is more than a metaphorical tool to make a point now we may not recognize it immediately as uh, American Christians in in 2022, but the disciples and any other Jewish listeners would have recognized this designation right off the bat. So to understand what he's saying here, we do need to look back into the Old Testament because this language of of the vine, of vineyards, this is is seen throughout the Old Testament. We see this in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah. And almost all of these passages that speak about the vine or, or the vineyard They show Israel as God's chosen and privileged people. But then they turn away from God and they bear nothing but corrupted fruit. So I do want to read from Isaiah briefly. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And I think it will help us to understand uh, kind of the context for Jesus' statements here. So chapter 5, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved, my, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you. What I will do to my vineyard, I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So Israel is compared to a vineyard. There, as in this passage in John as well, God is the farmer, the vine dresser. And the farmer finds a, a fertile hill and he plants his vineyard. And he does all of the work. He, he gets the land ready. He removes the stones from it. He builds a wall around it so that it'll be protected. This farmer is slaving over this vineyard. He works so hard to prepare these vines to grow and produce fruit. But when the harvest comes... They don't produce. They produce sour and stinking fruit. That's, that's what it means when it says wild fruit. It's sour. It smells. It is, it is corrupt. It is, there's nothing good about it. He, he did all these things to protect it. He built the wall so that critters couldn't come in and, and eat from it. He, he, he put the, the watchtower in it. He, he did all of this work, but ultimately, all it gave him was worthless fruit. How frustrating for the vine dresser to do all of this work only for it to produce nothing of value. So the farmer then promises to destroy the vineyard. And the point here is that that God had done everything. He had made every provision for the people of Israel to be a blessing to the world, to do what God had called them to do. But instead of, of bearing good fruit of righteousness and obedience and justice, they bore only sour grapes of wickedness. Later on in the book of Isaiah, he prophesies about a future time when that vine, that vineyard would actually produce good fruit. And now Jesus arrives on the scene and he tells his disciples, I am the true vine. Jesus is the one that will make it possible for God's people to finally bear the fruit he desires. This this statement that he is the true vine, this is the kind of statement that the Pharisees would be very angry about Jesus making. So Jesus is the vine. He is the source of all life and vitality and fruit for the branches that are connected to him. And the Father, as it says, is the vine dresser. He tends to the vines. He prunes them. He cleanses them to make sure that they bear more and more fruit. Now, the branches that that do not bear fruit, those represent uh, those who are not believers, those who have not put their faith in Jesus. And some people would disagree with me on that, but uh, they would argue that, you know, the branches that don't bear fruit, they're still believers. They just aren't being quite as obedient, so they won't get the same rewards as the fruitful branches. Um, I don't think that makes sense in this context, and and I'll explain why in a few minutes because we'll come back to this idea of, of those fruitless branches But I would say that those branches that are are fruitless, that they represent non-Christians. And it says that they are are taken up, they are taken away. But the branches that do bear fruit, the Father gives extra attention to them. He prunes them so that they can continue going on and bearing more and more fruit. Now, spiritual fruit, again, people are are split on what the spiritual fruit represents here. Some people would say it's good works or or acts that Christians do. in order to try and please God, some would say that it is the number of of people that that an individual leads to Jesus, the number of converts they make. Uh, and I think those fall under the spiritual fruit, but I think either of those categories are just too narrow for what is being described here. Uh, the spiritual fruit can refer to any part of a believer's life that is pleasing to the Lord, any growth, anything that they do that brings glory and honor. That is what spiritual fruit is. A grapevine would be pruned in order to ensure the right volume and the right quality of the fruit. A branch that was never pruned, it's much more likely to produce sour grapes, bad fruit. So God, as the gardener, he cuts away these things in our lives that prevent us from, from spiritual growth. And that process of pruning can sometimes be painful. I don't believe that the point here in John is is that it's always painful, but, but I certainly think that it could be. Right? Anybody who's been a Christian for any mildly long period of time has probably experienced the painful side of the pruning process. When something we love or desire or enjoy is cut out of our lives, but we know it's for the better. It's not fun, it's not enjoyable, but we know we are better off for it. Sometimes God does prune us through suffering, through discipline, through, uh, through removing someone from our lives. There, there's many ways that he can do this and, and they're not always enjoyable. Oftentimes though, I think the way that God prunes us is as we engage with his word, as we're transformed and molded by the word of God, as we draw near to Jesus, he prunes us in that way as well. Verse three tells us that we are made clean. And this word, to be made clean, it's very close to the word for, uh, for pruning. And so some translators choose to, instead of say prune, they like to say trim clean because it kind of keeps that closeness of the two terms. Uh, but, but we have been, been made clean already because of the message of Jesus, because of the words he has spoken to us. We are clean because we have come to Jesus by faith. We have believed in the truth of the gospel. And that initial cleansing, it makes us acceptable before God. It makes us able to please God. But in order to, to grow spiritual fruit, to, to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus, to, bore, to bear more spiritual fruit, God continues that pruning process even after we have been made clean initially. And, and I think what we're seeing here is that this pruning process this, uh, that allows us to bear spiritual fruit, this happens as we abide in Jesus, Verse 4, Jesus commands us to abide in him, and that as we do that, he will also abide in us. So if, if we desire to bear spiritual fruit, we must abide in Jesus. That is the key to growing and bearing fruit that pleases our Father. Can a branch bear fruit if it doesn't abide in the vine? No, absolutely not. It has no source of life or nourishment if it's removed from the vine. It will shrivel up and die. And Jesus says that in the same way a a branch cannot bear fruit if it's separated from the vine, you and I can do nothing apart from Jesus. If we are disconnected from Jesus, there's no growth. Our, our, Our spiritual growth and our ability to do anything pleasing to God is completely found in Jesus. And this is a significant theological truth that I don't want us to miss. Because if bearing fruit means that we are pleasing God, but we can only bear fruit by abiding in Jesus, that means that you and I are totally incapable of pleasing God based on our own merit, based on our own effort. Our ability to please God comes from the work and power of Jesus in us. No amount of our own effort can can please the Lord. Every aspect of the Christian life then hinges on Jesus. We are not only saved by his work, we are saved by his work, but but it's also his work after we're saved that allows us to live a life that is pleasing to God. And as we've already seen and and read in the first seven verses, we find the ability to please God by abiding in Jesus. So what does it mean then to abide? Well, in simple terms, it means to remain. Remain. A branch must remain in the vine if it desires to bear fruit. So you and I must remain in Jesus for, for life, for growth, if, if we would like to bear fruit. But this word abide, it, it carries the idea of an ongoing commitment. In the same way that there's this union between the branch and the vine, there is a, an ongoing union between the disciples and Jesus. So when we remain or abide in Jesus, it means that we have this ongoing fellowship with Him. We have this ongoing loyalty and commitment to Jesus. And if we abide in Him, He abides in us as well. So as we fellowship with Him, He provides us all that we need to bear spiritual fruit. Just as the branches receive their life and vitality from the vine, you and I receive spiritual life and spiritual vitality from Jesus. But practically speaking, abiding means that we are utterly, utterly dependent on the Lord. We are looking to Him for the strength, for the grace, for the wisdom that we need to please the Lord. It means we devote ourselves entirely to Him. That that we give ourselves to studying His Word, being transformed by it. That we regularly commune with Him and draw near to Him in prayer. This is a constant, ongoing, continuous thing. Abiding means that we keep our hearts and our minds fixed on Jesus above anything else in this world. If we abide in Jesus, it leads to spiritual fruit. But verse 7 shows us that it also leads to more effective prayer. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So as you and I continue to dwell on, and engage with the teaching of Jesus, all of God's word, we're gonna be shaped and molded by it. And when that happens, the very things that we desire, the very things that we pray for, will start to change as well. And we'll see in verse 16 when Jesus restates this idea that we must pray in the name of Jesus, which means we pray according to the will of Jesus. So as we abide in Jesus, It's saying that we will begin to pray for the very things that Jesus himself prays for and and would pray for, for us. And when we pray for those things, we can have total confidence that we will receive them. So those who abide in Jesus will bear more and more spiritual fruit and their prayer will also become more effective as well. On the flip side, those branches who do not abide in the vine they are, are thrown away. They wither up because they are disconnected from the vine. They die, they are withered up, and they are thrown into the fire to be burned. And this is why I said earlier that the, the unfruitful branches have to represent non-believers because the, the being thrown into the fire, I mean, that's a picture of eschatological judgment. That is not something that Christians will face. But those who, who do not trust in Christ, who are not made clean through the, through the teaching of his word, that never come to Jesus in faith, they will be thrown into the fire of hell for eternity. That's the reality for the unfruitful branches. So these first seven verses show us that abiding in Jesus leads to greater spiritual fruitfulness. If you're taking notes, that would be number one. Abiding in Jesus leads to greater spiritual fruitfulness. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, then ask yourself, am I abiding in Jesus? How much time do I devote to my relationship with Jesus? Or do I ignore it because I've got better things to do? Do I depend on myself and my own wisdom and effort to please the Lord? Or am I really looking to Jesus for those things? Brothers and sisters, the source of spiritual fruitfulness is not found in your effort. Now, human effort is a factor, but it is not the source. If you and I try as hard as we can to please God, but we do that without depending on Jesus, we're going to look a lot like Israel in the Old Testament. The only thing that we will put forth is sour and corrupted fruit. Keep reading with me in verse 8, and we'll read through verse 11. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the fruit bearing that we, we just spoke about, it is the means by which we glorify God. But there's another element introduced here. Bearing fruit also proves that we truly are the disciples of Jesus. Whether someone truly is a disciple of Jesus is not seen in, in whether they prayed a prayer when they were seven. Now that that is the starting point for a lot of us, but that is not the determining factor. Right? We, we can determine whether someone truly is a disciple of Jesus when they have an ongoing pattern of bearing fruit in their life because producing spiritual fruit can only happen when somebody is abiding in Jesus. So we demonstrate that we belong to Jesus by bearing fruit and this brings glory to the Father. Now bearing fruit, bearing spiritual fruit does not save us but it demonstrates that we have been saved, right? We would not look at a dead branch, and say that this, this branch is dead because it has no fruit. No, we would look at, at that branch and we would say, okay, this branch has no fruit because it is dead. And, and in the same way, we would understand that, that a, a branch that has fruit has that fruit because it is alive, because it's getting its, its life and nourishment from the vine. Our spiritual fruit demonstrates that we are abiding in Jesus. Jesus. Starting in verse 9, Jesus sort of shifts his focus a bit. And he begins to talk about his love for the disciples. First, he draws a parallel between the father's, love and the, for the father's love for the Son and the Son's love for us. Jesus says, in the same way that the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Isn't that incredible that the same perfect love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for you and me. We get to abide in that great love that He has for us. That is incredible. And verse 10 continues this parallel, and He explains what is needed in order for us to continue abiding in that love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So abiding in Jesus' love is not a passive thing. We must be actively uh, working and and making the effort to keep the, the commands of Christ if we wish to abide in His love. And that's what He said about the Father. If you keep my commands, you abide in my love because I have kept the Father's commands and have abided in His love. Jesus always did what was right, always obeyed the will of the Father, even when it was difficult, even when it was painful, even when it meant He was going to suffer more than anybody else in all of human history. He was obedient. And through his obedience, he abided in the Father's love. He remained in the love of the Father. His obedience was a natural outpouring of the fellowship he enjoyed with the Father. If you look through the Gospel of John, you see this all over the place that he, Jesus says constantly, I've come to do the will of the Father. I don't do my own will, I do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was obedient to the Father, and so he abided in the Father's love. And now Jesus is saying to his disciples, to each of us, I've already shown you what to do. I've shown you how to abide in my love. Just follow the example that I already set. I abide in the Father's love through obedience. Now abide in my love through obedience. If we desire to abide in Jesus and abide in his love for us, then we must be obedient to him. We cannot abide in Jesus if we are not obedient to him as well. Now, again, I want to be clear that obedience doesn't earn Jesus' love It is a response to the love that he has already shown us. Jesus' love was freely given to us well before we ever obeyed him or were capable of obeying him. Remember, to abide means that we are fellowshipping with and we're loyal to Jesus. But if we are unwilling to obey his commands, can we really say that we are loyal to Jesus? Can we claim to have fellowship with him? There is no abiding in Jesus without obedience as we walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus, is we will abide in Jesus and his love. And in turn, we will bear spiritual fruit that is pleasing and glorifying to the Father. Number two, if you're taking notes, we can't abide in Jesus without obedience. We cannot abide in Jesus without obedience. <clears throat> we see here that, that we abide in Jesus through obedience, but but also in verse 11 that, that obedience brings further benefits with it. Obedience also leads to a deep and fulfilling joy. So Jesus is not simply giving us a bunch of of commands for an arbitrary reason. It's not giving us all these things so so that we can try to keep ourselves out of trouble or anything like that. Jesus gives us commands because they are good for us. He only commands us to do the things that he knows are best for us. He gave us these commands, he says, so that, so that we would have the joy of Christ in us and that our joy would be full. Jesus is saying is that if we do walk in obedience and we do abide in him, we will bear much fruit and we will find more joy, so much more joy than anything else this world can offer us. Brothers and sisters, I know it can be uh, difficult to follow Jesus at times. I know that at times it looks really appealing to disobey, to pursue what the world is telling you is good. But I promise you, no matter where you look, no matter how good it looks, disobedience to Jesus will never bring the joy that you will find in obedience to Jesus. I often hear from from believers that they feel disconnected to Jesus. And, And when people share this with me, I ask them, Are there areas of your life where you are disobedient to Jesus? Are there areas of sin in your life that you have hidden from others and that you have not dealt with yet? Because unrepentant sin will lead to a hindering of the fellowship we enjoy with Jesus. And again, I want want to be clear. I'm not saying that sin in a believer's life will cause them to lose their salvation or lose their fellowship with Jesus. We are chosen. We are kept by God. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved and we are secure. So even when we stumble into sin, that remains unchanged. But if we look forward into John's letters later in the Bible, we see he is very clear that fellowship with God and sinfulness are incompatible. They do not mix. So if a believer is walking in sinfulness, his fellowship with Jesus is hindered. And if we abide in in Jesus through obedience, if we fellowship with him through obedience, it makes sense that our disobedience would disrupt that fellowship. It doesn't remove the Father's love from us. It doesn't remove our salvation, but it does disrupt our fellowship. And your ability to bear spiritual fruit that is pleasing to God, it will be negatively impacted. But those effects are not permanent because Jesus is our advocate before the Father. He is faithful to forgive us when we sin. When we humble ourselves and we repent, we turn from our sins, Jesus will always forgive us. We can draw near to the throne of God with confidence. Even, even after we have sinned, we don't need to be fearful coming to the Lord in prayer because we will find mercy and grace because of Jesus. So if you are feeling disconnected from Jesus, I would say that's the starting point because Jesus has not abandoned you. He told us, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you fellowship with me, I will fellowship with you. So I would encourage you to search your heart, Are there issues in your life that you have not dealt with? Are there areas that you are disobeying the Lord? Areas of sin that you have left go unaddressed? Are there things in your life that you are placing above and before Jesus? Ask the Lord to reveal any of that that sinfulness or disobedience in your heart and repent of it. Let the love that Christ has shown shown us motivate us to obedience. Let's read the last uh, few verses here, chapter 15, verses 12 through 16. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you my commandment is that you love one another as i have loved you One another here is referring to all of jesus's disciples you and me anybody else who claims to follow jesus And I think this is interesting because he tells us to be obedient in chapter 10. And that that applies generally to all of his commands. But here he singles one specific command out. And I think this is important because back in chapter 13, he he gives the same command and he tells his disciples that this is the new standard for my people. That everybody else will know who you are because of your Christ-like love for one another. And then in verse 13, he tells us that the the greatest expression of love is one who lays down his life for their friends. And this is precisely what Jesus is about to do. If we keep reading in John, you'll see that in just a few chapters, he is going to lay down his life in place of his friends. Now, I don't think this means that we have to die for each other. Um, I think that maybe there's a specific circumstance where that could be the case, but generally speaking, that's not going to be the application we find here the larger idea, the application we can take away from this is that we should demonstrate the same kind of sacrificial love that Jesus showed us to one another, to his church. That Jesus draws special attention to this command is really important because I think there's a growing trend since, really since COVID shut everything down. I know things are pretty much back to normal. Um, and, and this existed pre-COVID, um, but across the board, if you you look at percentages and look at the research, church attendance and engagement is still lower than it was before COVID. So there there are those that think they can follow Jesus, but be totally removed from the church. But it doesn't work like that. See, after telling us that uh, that if we want to abide, we have to be obedient, he then draws special attention to this one command. And I think that shows us that fellowship with Jesus requires fellowship with his body. Fellowship with Jesus requires fellowship with his body. There is no individual version of Christianity. Yes, there are personal aspects of Christianity. We have a personal relationship with Jesus, but everybody else has access to that same type of personal relationship with Jesus as well. You can't say, you know, I love Jesus, but I have been hurt by the church. I don't want anything to do with the church or with church people there. That's just not my scene, but I'm good with Jesus. It doesn't work like that. You can't say that you're going to follow Jesus, but then just stay home and watch from your couch every week. Jesus said that the standard for my people is Christ-like love for one another. That requires you to be present with the body. You must be engaged in the lives of your fellow believers. You have to to know them, to be present with them. You have to know what's going on in their lives. You must build them up, encourage them, use your gifts to help them grow in their faithfulness and their spiritual maturity. You must use your abilities and your resources to care for their needs. Loving the church is a prerequisite for abiding in Jesus. Now, one of the ways that you can do that here at, at Redemption is through our congregational care ministry. If, if you're interested, you can find our Congregational Care Form through the Church Center app. And what we ask in that form is for you simply to list your skills, gifts, talents, passions, abilities, uh, anything of that nature, anything that you believe could be used to serve your brothers and sisters. And this ministry doesn't mean that we're gonna call you up every week or every month. There's people on that list that we still have not contacted since we started it because there hasn't been a need that arose that they could could meet yet, and, and that's okay. But, but for example, if your talent is fixing cars, you can put on that form that, that you like to work on cars, you're very good at it, and you would be able to help if somebody was in a pinch and, and needed a little bit of help with their car. You fill that out. Now we have a list of, of you and, and hopefully some others, list of a few people that, that can work on cars. So that way when that need arises, we can call you guys and say, hey, uh, so-and-so is having trouble with their vehicle. Are you able to get out there and help? They, they're, they're really in a bind and they just need a little bit of help. And that's a way for you to then go and, and to love the body, to show them the love of Christ. And this is just one example of this congregational care ministry. Don't wait for it to be a formalized ministry in the church. Just engage with the body. Get involved in each other's lives and love each other in a more organic way. If you wish to experience deep fellowship with Jesus, if you wish to bear God-honoring fruit in your life, you have to love the church as well. When we look at verses 14 and 16, we see another aspect of Jesus' love for us. In verse 14, he, he calls us his friends if we are obedient. Now, this speaks to the intimate fellowship that we get to enjoy with Jesus when we abide in him. This is an incredible honor that Jesus would call us friends. The Savior of the world, our Lord, our King, calls us friends. He says, you are not servants anymore, but friends. A servant has no idea what his master's plans are. They're simply ordered and then they act. But you guys have been invited into the plan. You get to participate in the plans of the only living God. That is amazing. And while this is indeed amazing, we would do well not to misunderstand the nature of our relationship with Jesus. We are Jesus' friends but nowhere in the Bible is God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit described as our friend. We are described as their friend. And I think that is important. It might seem like there's not a big difference here. It's not because God or Jesus or Holy Spirit, not because they're mean, but I think it helps us understand how we rightly relate to them. Jesus said in verse 14 that, that we are his friends if we obey. Now, I don't know about you guys and how your friendships work, But I don't have any friends, I've never made a friend by telling them we can be friends, but you have to obey everything I ask you to do. I would never tell my friends that. I wouldn't have any friends if I told my friends that. But this expresses the qualitative difference between the friendships we enjoy with one another and the friendship that we enjoy with Jesus. D.A. Carson is a a scholar that I I greatly appreciate, and he had a helpful illustration of these verses in his exposition of this passage, and I'm going to paraphrase that for you. He said, imagine you have a king. This is an, an absolute monarch. He has total authority. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Now, this king may order his chauffeur to go and fetch the car. The chauffeur would respond by, going and fetching the car. He would not stick around to ask questions. Well, king, why, why do you want me to get the car? What, what's going on? What's the plan? He wouldn't do that. He doesn't have the right to ask those questions. He simply does as he's told. On the other hand, if that king's friend was in his presence and he asked his friend, hey, would you mind going and, and getting, bringing the car around? The friend would have a lot more freedom to ask why, to ask what the purpose of getting the car is. He'd say, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to do that. But where are we going? What's going on? And the king would share this information openly with his friend. The relationship between a king and a servant is different than the king and his friend. There's an openness and a love between the king and his friend. But that friend would never have the authority to refuse or to demand the king do something different. That's not how the relationship works. So the point is that yes, we get to abide in Jesus. We enjoy fellowship with him. We are called his friends, but we are still subordinate to him. That we are Jesus' friends must never leave us thinking that we are equals with him or that we can treat our relationship with him flippantly. We are his friends and that is a, a privilege, that is an amazing honor, but he is still our King and Lord and we must be obedient. And the final verse, verse 16, reinforces again that we owe Jesus our obedience because that is precisely what he chose us for. If you're taking notes, number three, Jesus chose and appointed us to bear spiritual fruit. Jesus chose and appointed us to bear spiritual fruit. Verse 16 is clear that we were chosen by Jesus. We did not choose Jesus. We did not initiate our relationship with him. He called us to himself. And I know that some people get get uncomfortable talking about this language of Jesus choosing us and us not choosing him, but it's so Clear. That is, I mean, that is word for word what Jesus says. He's telling us that our belonging to Jesus is a direct result of His choosing. That's it. Nothing we did or deserved. He chose us and He appointed us to bear fruit. And He says that, that uh, He appointed us to bear fruit that abides. The spiritual fruit we bear while abiding in Jesus is also intended to abide. And this speaks to the ongoing, the continuous nature of. Of the spiritual fruit. As we abide in Jesus, we should continue to live lives that please the Lord. We should continue to bear fruit that brings glory to God the Father. So, abiding in Jesus should lead us to producing fruit that is ongoing and continuous as well. But Jesus knows that we will find it difficult to abide in Jesus. And so, he restates the same promise from verse 7 Whatever we ask in Jesus' name, the Father will give it to us and again the idea is very similar here to verse seven that our fellowship with Jesus, uh, our, our commitment to him is going to transform our hearts and our minds. the things we desire, the things that we pray for are going to align with Jesus's will and this ensures that we will be provided with every single thing we need to bear fruit right that's what he chose us for to bear fruit. So as we pray for those things that Jesus would be okay with, the things that Jesus would desire, it's going to be praying for things that that will ultimately allow us to to bear more and more spiritual fruit. So Jesus is ensuring his disciples that, yes, he's going to be leaving soon. He's going to be crucified, he'll be resurrected, but then he'll ascend to be with the Father. He's saying, even though I'm, I'm leaving, you will still have everything you need to bear fruit. Abide in Jesus and bear spiritual fruit. That's our big idea this morning. Abide in Jesus and bear spiritual fruit. How incredible is it that you and I can say we abide in Jesus and he abides in us. We have an ongoing fellowship with the Savior of the world. We fellowship with him. We are are called his friends. He has loved us. He chose us even though we would never have chosen him. And how amazing is it that he gives us the ability to do what we can't. We cannot bear fruit for the Lord on our own ability. All of it is because of Jesus. He's the one that enables us to bear that fruit. And this is offered to all of us. What other response is there besides obedience? Because even that, that obedience really isn't much of a chore because he promises us that it's what's best for us and it will lead to the absolute fullness of joy. This is a great deal that we have here. This might be my my favorite passage of scripture. I read this passage probably about once a week because it reminds me how desperately I need Jesus. It's so easy for us to forget that forget to abide in Jesus. To us, For us to slip into this, this way of doing things that, that we act in, and, and carry ourselves based on our own strength and wisdom. We start to believe that we can please God without abiding in Jesus, without drawing near Him, without spending time with Him. We think that we're going to bear this fruit alone. And I think that's when we start to go through the motions because we stop depending on Him. We start d- depending on our own ability and it just gets mundane and we stop being successful in our efforts to bear spiritual fruit. We need to be reminded that our own effort produces nothing of value to God. Sometimes we need to be humbled. We need to be shown that our effort alone simply is not enough. And if we rely only on our effort, we'll get burned out. We'll get frustrated. We will fail. John 15 reminds us to abide in Jesus. To find all that we need in Him. The word abide has sort of become a motto for me, I guess you could say. When I begin to feel overwhelmed, when I feel like God is disappointed in my efforts to please Him, or if I begin to feel distant from the Lord, I pray and I ask God to help me abide in Jesus. This is something I pray almost daily. It probably should be daily. If we want to enjoy fellowship with Jesus, if we want to have genuine joy in this life, if we want to be friends of Jesus, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to live a life that is pleasing to the Father, we must abide in the vine. Because apart from the vine, you can do nothing. Abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Devote yourself to Him and walk in obedience to His commands and you will bear spiritual fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship and the, the friendship that you offer to us. We thank you that even though we are not capable on our own of bearing spiritual fruit, you have made it possible for us to do that by abiding in your Son. Lord, this, le- this week, would you help us each to abide in Jesus? Help us to avoid the temptation to be self-dependent. But rather, let us be completely dependent on Jesus put in our hearts a desire to please you, a desire for deep fellowship with Jesus. I pray that we would be a people who regularly draws near to Jesus, that spends time with him consistently. And I pray that as we do this, we would be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week.